Hello, and welcome to the June IASB Update Podcast. I am Neely Shaw, the Executive Technical Director at the IASB, and today I am joined by the Vice Chair of the IASB, Linda Mizan-Hutter. This month, Andreas is traveling and is unable to join us, but welcome back, Linda. Our listeners might recall that last month you were unable to join our podcast because you were on a panel on connectivity hosted by the European Accounting Association in Finland. Before we start recapping the IESB's June board meeting, would you like to share anything about that connectivity panel? Oh, I'd love to, uh, Neely, and it was a great session. I would say it was really thought-provoking. It was a lot of academics, but other accountants as well. We talked about connectivity between the financial statements and sustainability-related financial disclosures and why it's so important to enable investors to make better decisions. And I'll remind our, our listeners that we published articles on this topic on March the 23rd to describe what this is, what connectivity means, and why it's so important. And it was a great session, but let's move on to the June board meeting now, if you're ready. Sounds good. Thanks, Linda. So in June, the board covered five topics or five different projects, and we'll start with an oldie but a goodie, primary financial statements. We started the meeting by discussing matters relating to categories and subtotals in the statement of profit or loss. Our main decision relates to the classification of gains or losses from a transaction or another event that results in a change in category for classifying income and expenses in the statement of profit or loss. An example of this is when an office building with income and expenses classified in the operating category is transferred to investment property with income and expenses classified in the investing category after the transfer. The IASB decided that the income and expenses from these transactions or other events are classified in the same category as it was before that transaction or event. So any gain or loss when the office building is transferred to an investment property would be classified in the operating category. The board also decided how to apply this principle to groups of assets or liabilities. For example, if a subsidiary in in consolidated financial statements becomes a financial asset measured at fair value through profit or loss. For most of these transactions or events, the gain or loss, including any exchange differences reclassified to profit or loss on disposal of a foreign operation, would be classified in the operating category. We also discussed issues related to some of the requirements in IS-29, financial reporting in hyperinflationary economies, and IS-12, income taxes. Linda, can I hand over to you to elaborate on those discussions? Sure, Neely, with pleasure. We had postponed our discussion on the classification of the gain or loss on the net monetary position recognized by a company applying IS-29 back in March to consider additional feedback from stakeholders. And I would like to note that we really thank those stakeholders for their input. It was very helpful. They explained that there are two ways requirements in IS-29 are being applied. Considering how to apply the requirements in IS-29 is not part of this project, so the ISB's decision on this one it reflects both approaches. The ISB confirmed that when companies present the gain or loss on the net monetary position in a single line item, it would be classified in the operating category in the statement of profit or loss. Otherwise, it would be classified in the relevant categories of the statement of profit or loss with foreign exchange differences and interest income and expenses on the items that gave rise to it. 
In particular, we discussed the classification of foreign exchange differences arising from current and deferred tax assets and liabilities that are recognized in profit or loss. The ISB decided to clarify that these foreign exchange differences would be classified in the income tax category in the statement of profit or loss unless doing so would involve undue cost or effort. We also decided to make a consequential amendment to IS-12 to align the current requirements in that accounting standard with this decision. And with that, we concluded our technical discussions. In July, the ISB will discuss the effective date and the due process requirements, including whether re-exposure of the proposals is required and whether to begin the balloting process. Thanks, Linda. That's definitely a big milestone. Yes, it uh, is. Let's move on to the Equity Method Project. This month, we discussed how to recognize and measure, initially and subsequently, the contingent consideration on the acquisition of investments in associates. Uh, Linda, can I hand back to you to discuss the decisions the board made? Absolutely. On this one, we decided to amend IES 28 so that it requires, on the acquisition of an, an investment in associate, that an investor would recognize contingent consideration as part of the cost of the investment and measure that contingent consideration at fair value. The ISP followed the reasoning in the Business Combinations Accounting Standard IFRS 3 and decided that it's logical that the consideration transferred in the acquisition of an investment in an associate has the same meaning as set out in IFRS 3, which includes contingent consideration as part of the cost of the investment. Through this logic, the ISB are using consistent definitions, which we consider beneficial for investors who are familiar with the requirements in IFRS 3 related to business acquisitions. Thanks, Linda. Let's move on to the project subsidiaries without public accountability disclosures. The ISB continued redeliberating the proposals on the exposure draft, subsidiaries without public accountability disclosures. This month, the board discussed whether the feedback on the disclosure requirements proposed as part of the second comprehensive review of the IFRS for SMEs accounting standard should influence the proposals in the exposure draft. The ISB concluded that no further changes to the proposed disclosure requirements in the exposure draft were needed. And with that decision, this completes the board's redeliberation of the proposals in the exposure draft, subject to some minor sweep issues that may arise as the drafting begins on the accounting standard. In July, similar to primary financial statements, as Linda just mentioned, the board will discuss the due process associated with this project and decide whether to start the balloting process of the new standard and whether to re-expose. So with that, let's move on to the fourth of our five projects covered in June, which is rate-regulated activities. Linda, can I hand over to you to talk about the discussion? Always happy to do that, Neely. So if you're familiar with this project, you might have noticed that the estimation of future cash flows is a key aspect of the measurement of regulatory assets and regulatory liabilities. This month, we discuss the methods companies can use to perform those estimations when future cash flows are uncertain. The ISB decided to retain the proposal in the exposure draft, regulatory assets and regulatory liabilities, that companies estimate uncertain future cash flows by using whichever of the two methods, one being the most likely amount uh, method and the other being the expected value method, whichever one the company expects would better predict the cash flows. 
In addition, companies would need to reassess the method they use only if there is a significant change in facts and circumstances, such that the company no longer expects the method to better predict the cash flows. Finally, we concluded that the requirement for companies to update their estimates of future cash flows to reflect changes in estimated timings or amounts mean it is not necessary to require companies to perform a separate impairment test for regulatory assets. Thanks, Linda. So let's move on to the last project that the board discussed in June, the second comprehensive review of the IFRS for SME's accounting standard. This is the first time that the staff has come back to the board since the comment period ended back in March. Linda, could you highlight some of the key takeaways from the IASB's discussion on this project? Absolutely. This month, the IASB discussed the feedback on the proposals in the exposure draft, third edition of the IFRS for SME's accounting standard, and provided suggestions on the questions for the SME implementation group to consider and provide advice to the IASB. The SME implementation group will meet next month to discuss the feedback on the exposure draft and provide advice on these questions. In addition, we discussed the proposed clarification to the definition of public accountability in the IFRS for SME's accounting standard. This definition includes reference to entities that hold assets in a fiduciary capacity. We decided to confirm the proposal in the exposure draft the entities listed in the definition, banks, credit unions, insurance companies, and so on are examples, and I emphasize examples of companies that hold assets in a fiduciary capacity. We will also make this amendment to the description of public accountability in the upcoming standard subsidiaries without public accountability disclosures. However, the ISB decided not to further clarify the definition of public accountability in the standard, but instead to consider whether to address other suggestions for guidance on that definition when updating the educational modules supporting the standard. Thanks, Linda. So that concludes our June discussions, but before we wrap up, Linda, is there anything else you'd like to add? Just one thing, Neely, but kind of important. And just to thank everyone who attended the IFRS conference earlier this week on the 26th and 27th of June. It was very nice that you were able to attend both online and in person, and we hope you enjoyed the sessions and keynote speeches, as well as enhanced your knowledge on the most recent accounting and sustainability developments. Thanks, Linda. So that is all for this month's podcast. As always, you can catch up on previous episodes of this and the Interpretations Committee podcast on our website, as well as on our YouTube channel and Spotify. For the latest developments, make sure to subscribe to our website. And if you like this podcast, please do take some time to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast player. Thank you very much for joining us, and please tune in again next month for an update on the July IASB meeting. Thank you.